Faith is believing in something you can't see, you can't feel, something that can't be proven. Then how do you know which is the right faith? I think that's a gut thing. I don't think about a right faith. I think about what resonates with me. I feel authentic. It brings me peace. I think there is no absolute truth in any religion. I think it's a matter of subjective experience. I kind of just trust my intuition, trust my gut. You just know. You just got to follow it. You just got to follow what you think is your faith. If faith is blind, then what makes one belief better or worse than any other? And if it's just a leap in the dark, why should any of us feel obligated to believe anything at all? My name is Shane Rosenthal. I was raised in a Jewish home, but became an atheist at a very young age. Later, as I began to question things, I ended up losing faith in my atheism and converted to Christianity. Since that time, I've never stopped asking questions, and I've spoken with authors and scholars from all over the world in order to explore the beliefs and ideas that shape our lives. Over the years, one thing I've concluded is this. We're all believers. But because there are so many conflicting ideas and worldviews out there, we just can't all be right. So how do we find the truth? On this podcast, we'll start by asking questions. I'm really just trying to figure out what I believe right now. Hey there, welcome to another edition of the Humble Skeptic Podcast. I'm your host, Shane Rosenthal. On the last episode, we heard from Sarah Beth Capusta as she related her experience of growing up in a church that had all the classic earmarks of a cult. And as she grew older, she found herself questioning many of the beliefs and practices she had been raised with. Are these things really taught in the Bible, she began to wonder. And is the Bible itself a book that can be trusted and safely relied upon? Though she had been encouraged to blindly believe for the first 25 years of her life, she says that her faith really began to blossom as she wrestled with important questions like these. While she began to be skeptical of many of the things she had been taught growing up, she didn't end up abandoning the Christian faith altogether, since she discovered that there were, in fact, compelling reasons to believe that Jesus really existed, that he was crucified, died, and was buried, and that on the third day he rose again from the dead, according to the scriptures. On this program, we'll hear from Fikret Bocek, who was raised as a Sunni Muslim in Izmir, Turkey, and who also began to question the religion of his youth. In his case, however, his questions caused him to lose faith in the Quran, while at the same time he ended up gaining respect for the Bible, which eventually led to his conversion to Christianity. I aired a short clip of this exchange a couple of months ago on episode 16, but on this program I'd like you to listen to the entire interview, which was recorded a few years back. So here's my conversation with Fikret Bocek. I grew up as a Muslim in a Sunni Muslim branch. There are the Sunnis and the Shiites that are well known. Right. The, the main difference between the Sunni and the Shia is uh, it's political, actually. But then later they develop their own traditions. So what percentage of Turks would you say are, are secularists? In Izmir... Probably about 80% would say they're secularists, and more than 80% wouldn't go to any mosque. If you ask people if they're Muslims, almost everyone will say they're Muslims. Yeah. But if they, whether, you know, if you ask me if they go to mosques regularly, like five times a day, 
not just Izmir, but all over Turkey, I would say 1% of the whole country. Huh. Uh, well, on Fridays, it, they're required to attend a mosque on Fridays, maybe about 10% of the whole country. Yeah. What percentage of um, Muslims from any of the three major traditions would you say are basically functionally literate in the Quran? Less than 1%. Wow. Among the Sunnis and among the Shiites. Not many people read, especially in Turkey, they don't understand Arabic. They don't read Arabic. And we speak Turkish. And imams discourage people reading the Quran in the Turkish language. Well, if you can't read it in Turkish, and if you don't know Arabic, you're dependent on the stories you're hearing from your grandmothers or, you know, from the imams. Yeah. So they're illiterate when it comes to Quran. Uh, it's hard to tell a Muslim that this is what the Quran says. And they say, yeah. no, the Quran cannot say it because this is how <laughs> I believe. And that's right. not what the Quran would say. So they're happy in their ignorance. Interesting. Well, so tell our listeners who haven't yet had a chance to hear your story, how you converted to the Christian faith from your Muslim background. Yes, you know, it all started with um, Charlton Heston. Uh, I saw Ben-Hur and started questioning whether Jesus was really crucified. Muslims don't believe that he died on the cross. Quran says that instead of Jesus, someone else was crucified in his place. I really like history, so I started looking at some books, encyclopedias. What I was looking for was whether crucifixion was historical, whether Jesus really died on the cross. Well, Encyclopedia Britannica said Jesus was crucified. And I thought, well, that encyclopedia is not an evangelistic book. You know, it's not trying to um, proselytize me. I looked at uh, some other books. Basically, everything was saying that Jesus was crucified except the Islamic sources. Some months later, I met a couple uh, who were tourists in Istanbul. They were from America. And we started talking. We, we talked about different things. And we went to a cafe. And as we were talking, I saw a book in their backpack was the NIV study Bible, and I started asking them questions about this, and I was under the impression that the Bible is just Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, but I soon found out that it starts with Genesis. There is the section called the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, the first book I saw was Malachi, and I'm looking at it, and, and I went to the beginning thinking I will find Matthew, and it was Genesis. So I'm like, what is this? Is this really the Bible? Are you really Christians? So it started with this, and uh, I asked them if they could summarize the book for me. And they talked about how God created heavens and the earth and uh, men, and how we sinned against him and expelled from the garden. Uh, and then they brought me all the way to the cross. Uh, they told me, you were born a sinner, and this is what Christ came to do for you on the cross. So I started asking them questions about this cross. You know, my questions were mainly on how he was crucified. Were there others? Uh, was it just 
the Jews, or was it just the Christians that saw it? And they said that it was the Romans that crucified him. So it's the, the Roman records have it, Jewish records have it, and the Christian records have it. So he was killed in Jerusalem. Uh, and then they told me that he died, and he was buried, and then he was risen. It was something I had never heard before. I knew that the Greeks were celebrating Paschalia, uh, the Easter. I didn't know what the celebration was for. So this couple, they were newlyweds, uh, just traveling through Europe and ended up in Istanbul. They pointed me to the cross. And there was a, a Dutch Reformed church in Istanbul. Um, they invited me there and I saw what was happening. I went with a friend. And then after the church service, uh, I was introduced to a German missionary who then invited us to a Turkish Bible study. And they gave us a, a Turkish Bible. Uh, well, he gave me um, a Turkish New Testament and he said, read this first and then we'll give you the Bible with the Old Testament because this is the reason why we Christians read the Old Testament. So I tried to understand this. And uh, so I read the New Testament that week and went back with a lot of questions and also trying to get that full Bible too. So let me ask you a question because I had a similar background a little bit ahead of you. This is 1988 for you, around 1985 for me from a Jewish background. I, um, for a number of reasons, started reading the New Testament myself as well. And having never read it before, I thought it was fascinating, but I thought a lot of it was hard to believe. And I was perplexed by much that I read. What was your first experience reading the New Testament like? Um, I wasn't reading to believe, honestly. Um, I was reading to find problems in it. As I went through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, I think John was more effective for me. Uh, and then moving on to Acts, um, I started seeing um, how Christianity uh, grew and spread from Turkey, literally. I mean, from Jerusalem coming to Turkey and Paul keeps coming back. Yeah. And all these places, you know, my backyard, all the names I recognize. And yeah, Izmir is basically Smyrna, one of the churches in Revelation. Yes. Um, Ephesus is 45 minutes uh, south of us. Pergamum is about hour, hour and 15 minute mm. drive. All the seven churches are around. And I was wondering why we didn't study these in high school, in our history classes. You know, the uh, we did study ancient history and then we moved on to the Islamic history and then the Selchuks and the Ottomans and the modern era and Christianity. We They don't go into that at all. So I was hoping to find some problems with the history, geography. I had read the Quran as a Muslim. And as I was reading the Quran, I was really interested in the vegetation, the rivers, the trees, and how long it would take from one city to another city on a, on a camel or on foot. And, you know, the Quran doesn't match. Um, you know today that it's uh, about a thousand kilometer distance, but they would say, and you know, they started traveling and the next day they were there. 
you can't. You can't do that without an airplane or a car.、Uh, even with a car, would be pretty hard.、Huh. Or the Quran mentions that the, you know there's a river running through Mecca, or this type of tree, like olive trees. There are no olive trees ever grown in Mecca, or this vegetation and that vegetation. So, and I thought, well, you know, that's unbelievable. After reading the Quran before I read the Bible, I really lost respect for the Quran、uh, because of the geographical problems in it.、Um, but as I was reading the Bible, I just had a ruler, so I was looking at. Which ways would Jesus have walked, and it would be you know this would be approximately about that much time, and this this is believable with its、um, mountains and the desert,、uh, and you know all the vegetation and、uh, the names, and they're there. I went to Israel several times, and everything matches. So that's what I saw, but it took me some time. You know, as a as a pastor here in Turkey, I haven't really seen anyone convert in a day or two or five or a week or a month. It always takes a year or two. Yeah, you say that it took you a long time because you struggled with、uh, the idea of even calling yourself a Christian. Because in Turkey, the idea of calling yourself a Christian is tantamount to calling yourself a traitor. Yes, yes, a Turk cannot be. A non-Muslim, you have to be a Muslim. If you become a Christian, you can't be a Turk. Even today, when I tell people that I'm a I'm a pastor of a church, and they ask me, "So, what nationality are you?" I'm Turkish. They're they're shocked. What do you mean? Like, don't you have any other ethnicity? No, I'm just Turkish. They can't get around it. So at that time, I was going through the same similar things, but、uh, reading what especially. John's Gospel, the places where Christ uses Yahweh's name, that he keeps saying that he is God, and I wanted to believe that. Nope, that's not a claim. He's not claiming that、uh, he is God, but he was claiming that、uh, he is God incarnate. And it took me some more time. I I remember getting rid of my Bible. I gave him to a friend. And told him never to give it back to me. The same day, I had to go back and ask for it, and I even threatened him. So I got it back.、Uh, but at one point, I realized that yes, Jesus died on the cross, and and historically, it really did happen、uh, that he was buried and risen. And even though I resisted, I came to that point. Even though I looked for problems, historical problems, problems in the gospel, problems with Paul. Uh, like one question was, how can you make letters piece of the scripture? Because in the Quran, the the book basically falls from heaven. You know, it just it's God's word, and Muhammad is transcribing it. So you're wondering, how could a letter from Paul be scripture? Yes, yes. But then again, after reading the Quran before I read the Bible, I really lost respect for the Quran、uh, because of the geographical problems in it. And some other problems in there, but this is not really the place to talk about them.、Um, I still had a problem, even though I was saved. I did have a problem calling myself a Christian.、Uh, it took me a couple of months.、Um, month after I became a Christian,、um, February nineteen eighty eight, 
some Christians in Izmir were arrested for one day. And we all heard about that. And this uh, hearing about this just puts this fear in your heart. And it's really crippling um, and it's contagious. And none of the Christians were sharing their faith or telling anybody that they had converted from Islam to Christ. So I was baptized that year in August. Uh, and in October, there were arrests in the whole country. The, the police didn't come to the church, but there was an informant that acted like he had converted to Christ. He invited us to his home for dinner. So we all went, and that's where we were all arrested and taken into a, a, a detention facility at a police center where they question people and, or keep them as long as they want. How many days were you kept there? Um, about 10 days. Um, they made us sit around and started questioning us and telling us that, you know, you're a Turk and this will show on your record. Uh, you will not be able to find jobs. You can't do this. You can't do that. But if you state this statement of testimony is what they call it. There is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his messenger. Um, then you can walk out. This is not going to show in your record. And the first person stood up and uh, said, you know, there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his messenger prophet. And he walked out. Um, the, the second, well, the first person was the informant. And we didn't know it uh, until after uh, we were released. The second one was this brother who was leading the Bible studies. We were sure that he would not deny Christ. He stood up and he said the same thing and he walked out. And the third one was my friend. He was a big guy and I thought he would, because he was a new believer, he would deny Christ, but he didn't. And they put him in a, in a cell. Uh, then it was my turn and I thought, because of this fear I had, I would deny Christ. But Somehow, I felt his hand shutting my mouth and not letting me say a word. Uh, literally, a hand was closing my mouth, and I even turned around and looked, and no one visible was shutting my mouth, but my mouth was shut, and I looked at this police officer. He was saying, if you don't know this prayer, repeat after me. So he was saying, "There is say, there is no God but Allah. So I'm looking at him and I, uh, this fear that I had was fear of pain, fear of persecution, fear of my life, uh, losing my life, or fear of future, what future will bring. But I, I realized that I am in God's hands. My future is in God's hands. And this fear shifted to a different kind of fear. So I knew what the fear of the Lord is, like real, real. He was right there. Mm. And as they were showing me my cell, um, I thought, well, God is carrying me to this cell. And uh, there were beatings and torture. I won't get into it. But 10 days later, we were released. Uh, and that's something that uh, it's like a seminary experience. I knew I wanted to serve him, uh, and uh, I knew that it wasn't the policeman that put me in there. 
I had to be there. I couldn't live like a Christian or a true Christian with this fear. So I learned what the fear of the Lord is and what Christians go through when there's intense pain in a place yeah. like that. So um, then we were released and I wanted to tell everyone about what happened. Not what happened to me or the arrest or anything. Well, what happened? What happened to Christ that he really died on the cross? Uh, so I wrote some things uh, like short one, two page uh, articles and invitations uh, for my friends, for people I know, people I don't know. Yeah, you say during that period, as a result of your new freedom and having faced persecution, that now you ended up maybe being a little overzealous and to the point where you made some mistakes that you now regret. Can you go into that a little? What are some of the mistakes that you made at that early period? Yes, I was preparing a lot of debates with Muslims on the Quran, on the Hadith, or the life of their prophet. And I was trying to win debates. And Muslims would invite their friends, and I would invite my friends, and we would go at each other. And I've never seen a single conversion through that. I was getting really angry. They were getting really angry. And they yeah. were trying to win. And at the end, they thought they won, and I thought I won. Um, so <laughs> that, was, um, that was a mistake. I mean, there, there is a place for debates. But when you're trying to win people to Christ, we really need to preach the gospel as it is. And knowing that there is no gospel in Islam, uh, that's what they need. Not a debater who is trying to win an argument yeah. with a stick. Yeah, where there's more heat than light. Yes, yes. You know, Fikret, here in the West, we hear a lot of conflicting things about the meaning of jihad. As a former Muslim, what's your understanding of the meaning of that word? Uh, well, jihad is like a, it's a struggle. It means struggle or fight against the enemies of Islam. It's not an attempt to convert people to Islam by force. Rather, it's an attempt to expand and extend Islam until the whole world is under Islamic rule. So that is jihad. If, we, if you look at it this way, jihad is Islamic missions. Gotcha. Jihad is essentially a permanent state of either there's the friendly jihad or not so friendly jihad. It's, a, it's essentially a permanent, it can be a permanent state of hostility that Islam maintains against the rest of the world, against the rest of uh, non-Muslims, with or without fighting for more sovereignty over more territory. So... It's a duty, it's an obligation for every Muslim who call themselves devout Muslims. You know, it's a, it's a contrast between Christ with Muhammad. Christ said, he who lives by the sword will die by the sword. But Muhammad said, the sword is the key to heaven and hell. Hmm. You know, Fikret, here in the States, we tend to think about religion as a private thing. Uh, but it sounds like the way you're describing jihad, it's, it is private, but it's also global. That there's a, this mission work that does involve the sword and politics. Is that a good way to think about it? Yes. Islam as a whole is a creed. But if we see that as a religious creed, just a spiritual creed, we will be mistaken. Islam is more like a, a political creed with the uh. goal to 
take over all the world physically and use jihad if necessary with the hostility side or with the friendly side and convert forcefully or or not uh, convert all the world and change all political systems and make it according to uh, Islam, basically. So it's a political movement. Yeah. And would you say that most secular Muslims don't really buy into the political side of that equation, but that the more one becomes invested in the Quran, the more one is likely to line up with that mission? Yes. Most secular Muslims, some of them won't even want to be called Muslim. They don't read the Quran and they don't raise their kids as Muslims, but as just the regular secular non-religious citizens. Sometimes they come to our church, they're fed up with Islam uh, or whatever they're seeing uh, in the Islamic world or in Turkey. Uh, and they say they've decided to become Christians. So they, they think that we have something like, you know, the, what the Muslims have. I've done it so many times, uh, almost on a weekly basis, you know, just preach Christ crucified, but also meet families and tell them the same redemption story and give them the gospel. And they're like, well, this is not what we're looking for. We're looking for something that is different. Like we can do whatever we want to do, but if we're not a Muslim, we can call ourselves Christians. So, nope, that's not how it works. So I try to explain it to them, but some really do convert. And, and we are seeing many families truly converting and changing and getting baptized. Um, we met this one guy. Uh, he told us that 10 years earlier, someone had given him a Bible and uh, made him really angry. So he put it aside um, and years later, he started reading it. And in our meetings, he told me that he, he believes in it, but he doesn't know what to do, but never went to a church. He tried going to a church. There was a like a health and wealth gospel type of a church plant here. So he went there and he thought, you know, if these Christians are like this, I'm not attending any church. His son was my son's classmate in first grade. Uh, that's how I met this guy. He heard that we're Christians, and so he and his wife and uh, his son are baptized members at our church now. Uh, that's great. How many converts have you baptized? Oh, um, so, well, last summer it was 157. Hmm. So add about a dozen more, I think. What's that process like from the earliest conversations to baptism? How long does that process typically take? Typically, once they truly convert to Christ, which takes time, uh, let's say the average is about 10 months, then they come to our what we call um, confession class. They have to complete the ecumenical creeds. Uh, we have to read them together. In the meantime, we also have some Bible studies that we go through together. And uh, eight months later, we give them a date. So probably about 12 months to 14 months. You mentioned that when you first converted, you ended up being taken in and detained for 10 days by the police and, you know, beaten. Uh, does that kind of thing still happen? Um, arrests like that are not happening anymore. Um, 
Turkey changed a lot of its laws and trained uh, the police force. And so they're, they're actually very respectful. And they, in Christmas time, Easter time, uh, they sent some police officers to ask us if we need any protection. And sometimes they get some intelligence from somewhere, wherever they get him, and they say, well, whether you want it or not, uh, we will put some civilian policemen around uh, just to watch and uh, make sure that you're safe. So, yeah, they're they're uh, treating us really well these days. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I heard that there was actually a report uh, a couple of years back where they told you that they had some intelligence about a possible bomb threat. Can you tell that story? Yes, yes. So I uh, received a call from the police and they said that they have intelligence that there are some ISIS terrorists in Izmir and they're planning an attack on a church in our area. While there are Catholic churches, there's one Eastern Orthodox church, there's an Anglican church, there's our church and several other churches around. So chances are it's probably not our church because we're not really, you know, we don't have a big building and we're on a business center. We're on the eighth floor. So um, so there were a lot of policemen waiting outside on the fourth floor, on the sixth floor. Uh, well, nothing happened. But the next day we saw in the news that six ISIS members were arrested very close to our church. And they had the map of our church and the number, the door number, everything. So we didn't get any other details from them. How did the members of your church react to that news? They were expecting, uh, we, we've been expecting attacks. Hmm. The, there were some bombings in Istanbul a year before at the airport and in different places. So we were kind of prepared, you know, if this happened, if there was a bombing or firing or whatever they were going to do. Uh, sometimes some people come in with a backpack. They walk into the church and we're all looking and, you know, see if this is the day. Yeah. So... So you had to deal with that level of persecution, or at least the possibility. But I also hear that sometimes when a Muslim converts to the Christian faith, they deal with persecution from within their own family. Can you tell some of those stories? Yes. These days, um, the pressure and persecution comes mostly from relatives, brothers, sisters, moms, dads. Like this one uh, medical student that converted his mother found out that he became a Christian and she told her other sons to go kill him. So he lost a year of schooling because of that. And somehow he talked to his grandmother and his grandmother was able to convince her daughter to forgive. And also one brother, after he converted, he didn't tell his brother, he didn't tell his other relatives uh, he had a Bible and he was hiding it under his mattress and um, his brother's wife found it and his brother confronted him on a Sunday when he was about to leave for church and he told him the truth. Yes, he believes that Jesus died on the cross and he started telling him about this gospel and the man got really upset and stabbed our Christian brother and a couple times. Hmm. So he didn't die. We were able to, he called us and we were able to get him to a hospital and they never got to make any peace uh, with his brother. But things like this happen, but it's uh, not 
occurring frequently. So I've also heard that another way that churches in your country have been persecuted is not by means of violence, but actually by government fines. Is this something that churches in your affiliation have experienced? Uh, Yes. We start church associations like the Izmir Protestant Church Association or the Ankara Church Association or different parts in the country. And we get inspectors. They will come and they will inspect even more than normal. Um, There are a lot of Islamic associations out there. They're not getting any inspections, but we get more and more and they'll fine us uh, a little fine here and a little fine there. uh, And sometimes just uh, quite hefty fines. A church was fined something they won't be able to pay for several years. Hmm. There was a, a missionary in one of their buildings and he gave a business card to a police officer and he was arrested and he was treated as if he was an illegal alien and arrested him and put him in jail. And the Turkish church that was connected to that association was fined quite a hefty fine. Interesting. Yeah. Now, uh, Fikret, a few years ago, there was a news story about an evangelical Presbyterian pastor by the name of Andrew Brunson, who was arrested and detained by the Turkish government. And this became an international news story, even to the point at which the U.S. government threatened sanctions on Turkey if they didn't release Pastor Brunson. Now, as it turns out, you were connected with this case, and I'm told that your name was actually included in Brunson's indictment as certainly a person connected with the CIA. So, Fikret, when were you recruited to become a CIA spy? Um, <laughs> what does CIA stand for, anyway? <laughs> um, Central Intelligence Agency. Okay, yeah, they, I'm not that intelligent. They wouldn't be interested <laughs> in me. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about uh, that news story and how you're connected with it? Um, I'm not connected with CIA at all. That is a statement by a secret witness that the prosecutor had, and I read it in a newspaper. So a newspaper had the indictment before the indictment was in the defense hands. Interesting. Very interesting. I don't know why my name was in there, because we're not theologically, you know, with Andrew Brunson and myself are in two different camps, let's put it that way. But when I heard that he was imprisoned, we did pray for him on a regular basis. And uh, when he was first arrested, I went and delivered two Bibles. Uh, His wife was also arrested. I hear that the Bibles were not given to them. After the indictment came out, I was also put in the list of people who were suspects. So the prosecutor would be, after this case, they would be opening a case against me to look for my CIA connections, basically, or that I hired Andrew Brunson, handled him, gave him a church building and such things. And the reason I think they made that connection is before we moved to our church as we are meeting now, before that, we had rented a place downtown. And uh, when our rent was over, we moved to our new place. We moved in 2009. In 2010, Andrew Brunson rented that place for their church plant. I think 
they're making that connection and saying that I gave that place as a present to them and placed them in there and somehow handling him or or something like that. But I think even the prosecutor and the state knows that this is just a made-up bogus case. So so you you were never arrested during this particular issue? I was not arrested, but I went to all the court hearings uh, for Andrew Brunson just to make myself available as a witness. But because the gotcha. prosecutor put me in the suspect list, the judge said that I cannot be a witness for the defense. But I did follow everything and took notes and helped any way I could. So, Well, Thikrit Bocek, thank you so much for telling us your story and for getting us caught up with your ministry there in Turkey. Do you guys have a website that I can give out in case any of our listeners are interested in getting in touch with you or supporting your work? Yes, um, we have a, a mission agency called Global Church Ministries, and it's based out of Temecula, California. Globalchurchministries.us is our website. Globalchurchministries.us. Yes. All right. Well, Thickard Bocek, thanks so much for being with us. It was great to hear from you. Thank you. Folks, thanks for joining me for this edition of the Humble Skeptic Podcast. For more information about this program, simply head to humbleskeptic.com. That's humbleskeptic.com. If you'd like more information about Fickward Bocek, simply head to the show notes for this episode. And if you'd like to help support this podcast, we could really use your help. There's a document in the show notes that walks through many of our plans and goals, along with a variety of ways to give. The address, once again, is humbleskeptic.com. And we'll look forward to being with you again next time as we discuss the beliefs and ideas that shape our lives. Thank you.